Hello, and welcome to this series of podcasts designed and prepared by the AEC SMS Working Group on Entrepreneurship. Our group is looking at how higher music education institutions can integrate an entrepreneurial mindset among students and teaching staff. We hope you enjoy the series of podcasts we have prepared for you. A very warm welcome to the podcast. My name is Olaf Bruns and I will guide you through a special episode of this series on mindset and why it matters. And it's also an all-Irish edition with two guests joining right from Ireland. Vunin Ryan, who is a flautist and a performance psychologist, and Jerry Fitzpatrick, a coach and a sports psychologist. But first, Vernine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Vernine, our listeners probably recognize you as the voice of the intro jingle we heard just a minute ago. It's your voice because you are part of the working group who devised this series of podcasts. And you suggested also to invite Jerry Fitzpatrick, a sports psychologist. Now, this series is all about musicians and how they cope in this current situation. So how come we're interested in a sports psychologist? Sports are more ahead, are more advanced than us in relation to research on sports psychology or performance psychology. So as musicians and in the music environment, we're, we're kind of behind. So that's why I thought it's interesting to go to the top and to go to the, the person who, who's, who knows more about what's going on now. And how did you get to know him? He was my lecturer, actually. I retrained as a sports and exercise psychologist, but my research was actually in music psychology and performance psychology. Thank you so much, Vernine. We will come back to you later in this podcast for a few words on what Jerry will tell us. But let's not only talk about Jerry Fitzpatrick, let's talk with him. Jerry, a very warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You are joining from Limerick, aren't you? Waterford, Waterford, Ireland. So we already heard you're a coach and a sports psychologist. Just to allow our listeners to get to know you a bit, could you describe in a few words what you're currently busy with? I lecture in, in college uh, in Waterford uh, in the area of sports psychology and sports science. So that's my prime focus. And I work with athletes and teams uh, in the area of sports psychology. Have you been a coach first who then became a psychologist or a psychologist who then became a coach? I coached first uh, for a number of years. But during my early stages in, in coaching, I studied sports psychology. So it was always an integral part of my coaching method. As I left coaching, then I went more full time into sports psychology as it relates to sport. In essence, the coaching came first, but there's an element of a twin track. Now, Vornin already mentioned the concept of mindset, which is central to what you're doing. Now, mindset is, of course, a word everybody is somehow familiar with. But what precisely do you mean when you use it and why does it matter? I would say that mindset is a mentality that you have through which you approach various scenarios, situations, performances, tasks that you meet in everyday life. Um, and this mentality is part of your attitude. It's related to your personality and your character. But in essence, it's a mentality that we can develop and grow 
if we approach it in, in a certain way. And then there is this idea of growth mindset as opposed to fixed mindset. Could you just walk us through the differences? Broadly speaking, you could look at mindset on a continuum from fixed mindset, which if you have a fixed mindset, your primary focus is on proving what you already know, what you can already do. Fixed mindset is a mentality where you close off your mistakes or you avoid adversity. You see things as being very fixed. In other words, my talent is natural. So maybe I don't need to work as hard at improving my talent because I believe it's, it's fixed, it's natural. Whereas growth mindset on the other end of the spectrum sees your mentality is something that can be developed, that can be nurtured. You may believe that you have some natural talent, but your primary focus is on developing that talent. I would make the distinction between the fixed and the growth mindset as an attitude of trying to prove what already is, which is fixed, versus trying to improve on where you are right now. And in working with athletes, we, we use that terminology a lot more than we would use the word fixed and growth mindset. We talk about, are you trying to prove what you can do or are you trying to improve on where you are right now? You already mentioned it implicitly, but I, I would like to make this very clear. So my question here would be, am I born with a certain mindset? Am I raised to have a certain mindset? And of course, can I influence the mindset I have? We strongly believe that you can influence the mindset that you have. And your mindset, your mindset develops from a very early age. So your, your experiences in, in primary school early on, in your first introduction to sport, in, in everything you do in everyday life, you're receiving feedback from people that helps you frame a certain mentality. And very often people with a fixed mindset have had early success and have been told that you're very talented, you're very good at this, um, you know, you're, you're in the top part of your class or your, your sport. And from that, the, the danger is that they then learn that effort is not something they should value. They rely primarily on their perception of their own ability as being fixed because they've learned it very early on that this is fixed. And instead of trying to improve on their current standard, they don't increase their efforts because increased efforts and failure would have negative consequences for them. So they, they see themselves or their ability in that area as being fixed and something which they don't have a lot of control over. Now, if listening to you now, I, I happen to figure out that I might have somewhat of a fixed mindset. How, how can I work on this? The most important step you've already taken, and that's recognizing that you may have some fixed mindset attitudes to certain things. There's a type of social pressure for us to believe that we are growth mindset. But if we can recognize, first of all, that there are areas of our life where our, our mindset is fixed, where we're trying to prove that I'm not any good at 
fixing the car or I'm not any good at painting the house or I'm not any good at this particular technique in sport. We, we tend to live out that proof. Whereas if we are aware of that and if we can then accept that true effort, we can all improve, then we can take the first steps to changing that mindset. May I just bring in a, a very concrete example of somebody who's a musician and who is all great when he's playing on his own or on her own at home. And then, well, he or she figures out that he or she is not that good in playing in front of people. What to do? When we put somebody in front of an audience, the consequences of a mistake are far greater because now not only is there the self-critic, there is also everybody who heard the mistake. So we have to provide, maybe in this case, the musician, but we certainly do it with athletes the whole time. We have to provide them with a coping mechanism where they can regain their focus very quickly and not allow the mistake to redirect their performance into a continued worsening performance. I would like to, to touch upon this, this idea of coping strategies a bit. What is a coping strategy? It's a technique um, or a skill by which we, we try to change our reaction or we try to manage our reaction to a stressful event or a stressful situation that, that we encounter. So the easiest example for me is to, to maybe relate it to sport. Uh, a football player makes a very, very bad pass in the game, which has negative consequences for the team. Perhaps somebody ends up committing a foul or the other team score. Now, one or two things is going to happen. If you're human, your mind will automatically go to the consequences and outcomes of your mistake. That's a human condition. However, how long you spend worrying or thinking negatively about the consequences and outcomes, um, that's something that we can manage and control. So a coping strategy in that situation, it might be some type of psychological trigger or some method of reframing um, the, the, the problem that's arisen and redirecting your focus back to the task at hand. So very often, um, very often, there's a very interesting program um, called the Red to Blue program, where we provide this to the athletes in terms of, of maps, of color maps. So we try to get them to recognize when they're in the red, which is, I've lost my concentration. I'm now focusing on the consequences and outcome of my mistake. So my behavior will change. I might you've heard the terms flight or fright or freeze. So I might freeze. I might try to hide from the rest of the action that's going on. Um, so we try to give them a mechanism by which they can get back to the blue, which we, we call thinking clearly under pressure or teacup. So if they can get back to the blue, now they're back in the present moment, they're focused on task and they've, they've parked the mistake until sometime after the performance where they can go back and analyze or reflect on on their performance. Jerry, I would like to to wind back a little bit. You already mentioned at least implicitly this twin ideas of failure and growth. Could you explain how these are connected? Well, all growth, all growth happens 
to learning to overcome some type of barrier, difficulty, task or failure. If we don't fail, then we have no mechanism from which to find out what in, in, where we're deficient in terms of scalability or technique. So if we can see our failures as a mechanism that informs us how to improve, then we're on the path to growth. Anybody who never experiences failure or setbacks or barriers is effectively not challenged. And that is something that the fixed mindset kind of fosters. It, it, it doesn't seek out challenges because its intent is to prove that I'm already good enough. Do you see a connection to self-esteem? Well, I like to talk more about the, the element of self-compassion. Self-esteem can be quite comparative. If somebody says I've got very low self-esteem, there's a strong possibility I'm comparing myself to somebody else who's got high self-esteem. And this comparative aspect can be very difficult. It can create a barrier to progress. We promote the idea a lot of self-compassion, of being able to accept who you are, what your ability is, what your limitations are, and then commit to a great deal of effort to try to improve on that. So, yes, self-esteem is certainly a factor. But I think if, if people have an element of self-compassion, an element of self-acceptance, of forgiving and forgetting their mistakes and then trying to improve on them, it's quite a productive path to developing a growth mindset. Now, it is clear that, that many people might be intellectually able to figure out that they don't have a lot of compassion towards themselves because they, they at some time in their life figure out that they put a lot of pressure on themselves and so on. So how can somebody work on this notion of self-compassion? I think the starting point is trying to increase your self-awareness so that you can recognize when you are overly critical or incorrectly critical of your own ability or your own mentality. There's that old Indian story of inside every person, there's the good wolf and the bad wolf. And the good wolf is the person who will succeed and develop and, and develop a lot of good characteristics and, and good qualities. And the bad wolf is, is critical, it's negative, it holds you back, it limits you. And, and really the wolves It will only survive if you feed them. So you have a choice as to which one you feed. And if you feed the good wolf and starve the bad wolf, then you have more of an opportunity to develop the mentality and the attitude that will facilitate growth and development. And if you're compassionate to yourself, you will feel that, well, I, I deserve to try to develop this good aspect of myself rather than let this, this negative force hold me back. Now, let me just jump to something totally else. I don't want to end, the, end this interview without having spoken about motivation. How do you work on motivation, specifically when people have a bit of a down? A key skill to managing and enhancing your motivation is to have realistic, attainable, challenging goals that, that you pursue. I think the sense of purpose is, is really important. And we would definitely encourage athletes to set 
what we call performance and process goals, the, the performance goals being the, what they want to achieve, but more importantly, the process goals, which are focused on how they want to achieve that level of performance. Let me boil this down towards the end to, to a few takeaways. If I am a student at a music academy, what would you say are the most important ideas I should take away from this conversation? That everybody is capable of improving to some degree. And that, that desire to improve and that willingness to increase the effort and sustain the effort over time is is very very important i think i think there's an element of an emotional commitment to that not just the physical commitment of going out and practicing or training for longer but the emotional commitment of how you do that now that was jerry fitzpatrick a coach and psychologist who joined from ireland thank you so much a real pleasure talking to you thank you Olaf. thank you that was jerry fitzpatrick a coach and a psychologist And we stay in Ireland and come back to Vornin Ryan. Vornin, now, Patrick just said everybody can improve to a certain degree. Do you agree? Yes, I do agree. Um, I agree that we can all improve um, by adopting a growth mindset and a learner's mindset. But as educators, if we look at the environment of higher music education, um, we can facilitate this growth through giving a student autonomy over their own progress, um, setting process and performance goals and focusing less on outcome goals. Also trying to help students to motivate themselves. Um, so finding why they're doing what they're doing, giving them a purpose, um, sensing, uh, creating a collaborative learning environment and facilitating a student's growth through checking in with them regularly and aligning their own values with um, with what they want to do with their music. Now, I would like to ask you a similar question I asked Jerry. From all he explained, what do you think is the most relevant takeaway for musicians? The most relevant takeaway, I think, is the point that Jerry made about self-compassion. And I think as musicians, we tend to be perfectionists and we have a strong inner critic. And that's because, you know, from the age of six or even earlier, we are taught to get things right. And there's really a right or wrong. And there's a mistake or not a mistake. And it's a traditional model of teaching music, which is the master apprentice model. And therefore, it's hard for us to, to give ourselves our self-compassion and to let ourselves fail and to accept ourselves and ourselves as being human and that there are mistakes and there are bad days. For Nien, Jerry gave this example of a football player who makes a very bad pass in a game. How would you describe the equivalent in music? I suppose in music, it would be making a mistake. So in an orchestral situation, if we make a mistake, it can be devastating for us because we feel we've let our colleagues down. And we've left the audience down. And especially if the performance is being recorded, it's then on tape forever. 
So what to do when that happens? Coping strategies. So this is why it's so important to introduce productive thinking and give students and younger musicians coping strategies to deal with this. So it would be the park and replace technique that Jerry mentioned also, you know, park it till afterwards, refocus, get back. So maybe you might have a cue word that you say stay or keep going. Um, or there's also... Um, breathing techniques you can do, centering technique to get you back or get back into the body. So get out of the mind, get out of the thinking state into the sensing. Vernine, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And that's the end of this episode on Mindset. And I am looking forward to the next one. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information on the AEC SMS project, we welcome you to visit our website, sms.aec-music.eu forward slash entrepreneurial mindset for musicians.